The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Start! You can call me Bruce. Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive. A Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. You know, there's a rumor that makes its way around to interwebs about me that I'm rigid and inflexible. And I'm here to prove that wrong today because we're going to pivot today. Originally, on today's show, you were going to hear a discussion about pitfalls, potential pitfalls for the 2021 Buffalo Bills team as it's currently constructed. And you know, I don't have guests on very often, but when I think that there's an opportunity for them to add value and particularly their expertise, I try to do that. So the discussion was going to take place between myself and WGR 550's Nate Geary. Why Nate Geary? Because when things go badly, one of the first people to hear about them is someone who works in sports radio. Immediate postgame. Now, you hear about it on social media, but you have to address it live right after the game. And in a lot of cases, that's going to fall on radio hosts. So Nate is in a unique position to be able to have those discussions about, okay, if these things actually happen, what would that impact look like? And we're going to break down the probability of each of those pitfalls happening and the outcome of each one of those pitfalls. So he wasn't able to make it tonight, but we are going to make sure that he's a part of the show tonight. You are listening to this, hopefully on Thursday, the 20th tonight, live on locker room. I'm going to be with Nate. We're going to do that show live, which means today we're going to have a different discussion. We're going to pivot because I have some almighty takes that are very varied in their content. Some of the best content I've ever been able to provide originated from someone other than me. Because 
when you're able to touch thousands upon thousands of people through the impact of this podcast, you have a chance to tap into the intelligence, the wisdom, the great ideas, the creativity of a lot of people. And because of that, sometimes you get an email or two that really kind of allows you to open your mind a little bit, try some new content. So we're going to dive in, we're going to do some almighty takes, and then tonight we will do the live show with Nate Geary. Let's dive into it. Pat sent me an email and said, hey Bruce, love the content, thanks as always. Maybe this is an almighty take to discuss during that period between the draft and the start of training camp. I agree with you, Patrick. Were the 90s Bills overrated? This take is not original, and I don't think I agree with it. I definitely don't want to agree with it. I love those guys. So many fond memories from my teens. But is that my nostalgia and fandom talking? Are they overrated? Not that they weren't good, but four straight Super Bowls being a function of the weak AFC, some lucky breaks, etc., as opposed to them being a truly great all-time team. Would love some Bruce-exclusive brand insight on this question. Thanks again, man. All the very best, Pat. I love this question for a bunch of different reasons. The first one is that you felt it was okay to bring it to me, and you were like, you know who would give me a straight answer on this? Bruce. That means a lot to me. The second thing is we really haven't spent any meaningful time on this podcast talking about the 1990s bills. What we're going to for a brief second. So let's talk about some of the things that you said. Weak AFC, lucky breaks. Let's talk about some of the things that would disqualify them from being as good as we imagine. Because when you say overrated, the assumption is they're overrated by us. The first question, of course, natural assumption, overrated by whom? And the way it's phrased, I assume you mean it's overrated by us, by Bill's Mafia, by Bill's fans, specifically Bill's fans who were alive during that time. Spoiler alert, I was alive during that time. So, you know, FBI, do with that information what you will, but I was alive during the 1990s Super Bowl run. So, week AFC, lucky breaks. The thing I always point out when someone likes to discredit the 1990s Bills is that those factors that they utilize to discredit them have existed prior and have existed after without four straight Super Bowl runs. Has the AFC ever been weak before? Yeah, absolutely. Has a team ever gotten some lucky breaks? Sure. Has any of that resulted in four straight Super Bowl runs? No. So if we isolate the variable... If we assume, yes, those things have happened, but even if they were true, let's assume for a second they're true. It was a weak AFC. The Bills did get some lucky breaks. Those things have happened before. They've happened since without the level of dominance we saw in the AFC from other teams. I don't recall other teams that existed in a stretch where the AFC was weak and they got some lucky breaks ending up with seven Hall of Famers from that era. Seven. Bill Polian, Andre Reed, Bruce Smith, Thurman Thomas, James Lofton, Jim Kelly, Marv Levy. And that's assuming you don't pick Ralph Wilson. If you don't pick the owner, 
You have the architect of the team, the coach of the team, the quarterback of the team, the best pass rusher of all time in Bruce Smith, two great wide receivers in Andre Reid and James Lofton, and one of the original prototypical all-purpose running backs in Thurman Thomas. I don't recall other circumstances when the AFC was weak and teams got lucky, leading to four straight Super Bowl runs and seven Hall of Famers. Which I think is interesting because Bill's Mafia doesn't vote for Hall of Famers. Bill's Mafia doesn't get to pick Hall of Famers. So if you say that the Buffalo Bills were overrated, overrated by whom? Overrated by the NFL? Because the NFL and the writers and the voters, they all think the Bills are pretty good during that time. Because we know that team success matters. We know that. But look at the Patriots dynasty. Theirs lasted for basically 20 years. Tom Brady, Gronk, Belichick, Robert Kraft, Adam Vinatieri, Ty Law, maybe. That's one, two, three, four, five, six. Now, you have some other people. Vince Wilfork, Rodney Harrison, Richard Seymour. And you have other people who get in, but their time with the Patriots isn't really the reason why they got in. Darrell Revis, he was with the Patriots, but that's not the reason he's getting in. Randy Moss, same way. Junior Seau is already there. As of right now, that's probably it. The Patriots dynasty not only was more effective than the Bills because they actually won a bunch of Super Bowls, but it was a lot longer than the Buffalo Bills. And they might end up with a couple more Hall of Famers over that period of time. No, the 90s Bills were not overrated. They were not overrated for two reasons. Number one, history will remember the Hall of Famers that came from that. Can't take that jacket away from you. The second reason is those things that people use to argue against the team being as good as we think it is, those factors have all existed over other five to seven year periods in the league before, but they didn't result in four straight Super Bowl appearances. And the reason they didn't is because those teams weren't as talented. How do we know those teams weren't as talented? They didn't have the Hall of Famers. So that is my response historically when people have said that the 1990s Bills were overrated. I disagree with that, and that's why. We're going to move on. We have Andrew, and Andrew says, Bruce, I swear, every week I listen to you and I become smarter about the theory of football and building a franchise. Anyway, the take is this. Damar Hamlin and Dane Jackson are the next Poyer and Hyde. You have noted Dane's deficiencies at corner, but maybe his skills can transfer well to safety. Besides, Hyde wasn't a full-time safety until he got to Buffalo, and that seems to have worked out. The Bills' spoils with a borderline elite combination of safety play and chemistry are entering year five, and considering their age, it could be time to develop the next generation of guys so that the Bills could do this for another decade. Seriously, when was the last time we haven't had to worry about a position group for this long? Do what you can to keep that train rolling. What's more, all four guys were day three picks. Realizing this, Bean took a low risk, high reward flyer on Hamlin, a guy who already had chemistry with Dane from their time at Pitt. Bean is putting it on the coaches 
and the DB room to develop them into great players and leaders, and it will work. Keep up the great work. Andy. P.S. I really, really tried to condense this take, I swear. <laughs> P.P.S. I'm doubling down on my Wyatt Teller will return to Buffalo in 2022. Take from last November. Okay. So I think if the Buffalo Bills viewed Dane Jackson as a safety, he would already be there. When Micah Hyde came over, he walked in the door as a pure safety. There was no fiddling around with any hybrid defender scenario that he ran in Green Bay. When Jordan Poyer came over, he was a safety. They didn't consider moving him to corner because that's where he was when he was with the Eagles. They were definitive and decisive with their positional movement. I think if they were going to do that with Dane Jackson, they would have already done that. This regime seems to have a clear mindset of what they want to do with players. There's a vision in place for what they want those players to be. They did it with AJ Epinesa when he came on board and said, hey, this is what we think of you. This is the way we want you to adjust your body. They did it with Hyde when he came in. They did it with Poirier when he came in. And with Dane Jackson, they stuck him right there at corner. A lot of people thought coming out that Dane Jackson might be a nickel. But again, they had conviction and vision. They didn't play him at nickel. They played him outside at CB2. And that's what they did. And he backed up Levi Wallace. And he got a chance to come in. And Brandon Bean has openly said that Dane Jackson is going to get an opportunity to compete for the CB2 position this offseason. I don't think they'd be that clear if in the back of their mind they were thinking about bumping him to safety. It seems to me that they have a very clear vision of players and they know what they want to do with them and they have a tendency not to waver. I cannot recall off the top of my head a scenario where the Buffalo Bills played a player out of position and it didn't work and they moved him. There's one scenario like that that kind of fits it, but it doesn't really jump to front of mind and it's Saran Neal. With Saran Neal, he came in, was listed as a safety, then he became listed as a corner. Now, essentially, he's a special teams player. So it doesn't really matter because he doesn't really play any defensive snaps at all. But that's the only player I can think of that has been through a positional switch during his time with the Buffalo Bills. We are going to take a quick break. We are going to come back. We are going to talk about some more almighty takes. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive of Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Back into the almighty takes. Craig says, Bruce, I'd love your opinion on this. First off, I don't know why the NFL didn't expand it to 19 weeks to include a second bye week. Teams like Buffalo, if they plan on going to a Super Bowl, would have to play 14 consecutive weeks. Seems a bit excessive. I agree with you, Craig. I do. I do think that there's a correlation that is very interesting that we're probably going to talk about a little bit this offseason, but I haven't figured out how I'm going to do it yet. There is a correlation between the length at which you have to play straight through to make the Super Bowl and your probability of winning it. The later the bye week, the more it correlates to a team that wins the Super Bowl. I'm going to do some more research on this to see if it's statistically significant, but there is a slight correlation there that I have found over the last couple of years where the later your bye week, the better chance you have of making the Super Bowl. And it makes sense. It tracks logically that people who get a break later in the season and do not have to play 14 consecutive weeks, as you mentioned, would have an advantage. 
The NFL does a lot of things I disagree with. This is one of them. I absolutely agree with you. Craig's second take is the NFL is having teams play an extra AFC home game this year and an extra NFC home game next year. Instead, they should have all 32 teams play one neutral site game in foreign countries and big college areas with no pro team. They really want as many out-of-country games as they possibly can get, and this is a perfect way to accomplish it. Again, I agree with you. I think neutral site games are good for the sport, and the Bills are part of that. They played in Toronto. The NFL is part of this. They play in London. They played in Mexico City. They're doing the things they have to do to grow the game. So they already know this stuff. It's already built into their business model. But then when they had a shot to expand that, they decided to go imbalanced with 17 games. I agree with you. I think it would be much better off that way. I have very little else to add, Craig. Jake says, hey, Bruce. I always enjoy the show and very much appreciate all the time and effort you put in day in and day out to keep us informed, engaged, and entertained. I have a question for you that isn't really Bills related. I was listening to your appearance on Pat Moran's pod, and it got me to think about how effective you are around time management. Have you always been this way or was it a learned talent? I'm naturally a little bit more scattered and have tried to use the McDude's growth mindset and read excellent books like Atomic Habits and Deep Work and Getting Things Done. But everything always seems to slip and go off the rails at one point or another, and it takes three times the effort to get the same amount accomplished when I'm disorganized. So it's like, logically, I know the solution, but keeping those plates spinning consistently always seems to elude me. If you're naturally wired to be hyper-organized, Bruce, that you are today, totally understood. But just in case it was a learned skill, I'd figure I'd reach out to ask for any guidance or advice you might have to impart. As always, I appreciate the hard work and very much enjoy the great content, Jake. So I wanted to answer this on the podcast because I had an opportunity to talk to Pat. And one of the things I love about talking to Pat is it's not just football stuff. And I love talking about football. I love talking about football. But listeners have a tendency to connect with content better when they connect with the content creator. So it's an opportunity for me to talk a little bit about myself, not too much, because you never know who might be listening, but it's an opportunity for me to talk a little bit about my process and things that I enjoy. It's also an opportunity for me to show gratitude to the people like Pat, who were never required to have me on their podcast, but elected to do so anyway, because they valued what I brought to the table. And that's incredibly humbling and wonderful. And one of the things he asked me about on that podcast was, how do you manage to do all of it all the time? So I want to share this a little bit with you because I, I hope that it's beneficial to someone out there who might be listening, who maybe struggles with some of the same stuff that I struggle with. My organizational ability is a coping mechanism that helps me account for obsessive compulsive behavior. Having things that are specifically in line, having things that are organized, allows me to feel settled. And feeling settled is not something that I felt a lot. I have shared with you before that I moved around a lot as a kid and I never really felt very settled by the time I would make acquaintances, it would be off to the next house. And because of that, this idea of peace and settling is something that exists for me as this utopia, this oasis for my mind amongst all of the stuff that goes on. And I have to set up bumpers in my life that don't allow me to spiral. And one of those things is organizational ability. I can feel settled 
when things are on the calendar, everything is in its proper place, I can feel settled. Because without those things, I don't feel settled. And feeling settled is very important to me. Preparedness and organization help me feel settled. And because of that, this is a coping mechanism to that. It is a necessity. I need to make sure that I'm organized. And I need to make sure that I'm prepared. Because if I'm not, I'll be very anxious. And my quality of life will absolutely tank. And so I am very aware of that. I'm very cognizant of it. Introspection is a big part of any mental health journey. Understanding the road that you're on is the most important part to understanding how to navigate the road you're on. Don't worry about that road. That's not your road. You're on your own road. You do what you got to do to get to the end of it. And what I have to do to get to the end of it is I need to be organized. I need to be prepared because it's part of who I am. It's a fundamental Bruce part of my identity. And I'm okay with that. I'm fine with that because the accommodations and the coping mechanism that's necessary for me to deal with some of my own challenges help provide good content for you. There's an upside. There's a silver lining eccentricities. And because of that, I've learned to embrace them. So it is partly natural for me. It was a learned habit once I became more introspective, but it's always been a necessity for me. So to your point, Jake, I've always needed to be this way, but I had to learn how to be this way. The necessity for me to be organized has always been part of this. I just didn't recognize it until a little bit later in my teens, probably. I did not read any books on it. I did not listen to any particular seminars on it. I simply recognized that this was a habit that I was going to have to form in order to increase my quality of life. I said, Bruce, this is a skill you're going to have to learn. You have been blessed with particular idiosyncrasies that need to be accommodated for in order to make sure that your life is as high quality as it can possibly be. So you need to do something. So I did. So I hope that answers your question. I hope it's beneficial to anybody who might be listening to this, who might have the same scenarios. Alex says, Hey Bruce, as much as I love watching football, I really don't understand the game at all. Most of the time I just follow the ball when I watch, which makes me the last person to find out what's happening. With that in mind, what are some things I could look for to become a more educated football watcher? I have no dreams of becoming a scout. I just want to learn how to watch a standard broadcast with a keen eye. Thanks so much for rolling out so much consistently great content. Well, Alex, the first thing you can do, you're already doing, which is consuming Bill's content. Now, I'm not going to sit here and pat myself on the back and say that I'm going to help you personally. I might, or other people might help you. It depends on what helps you connect with the game. I think that finding people who communicate the way that you listen is important. If you are a visual learner, you can go to YouTube and you can look up video pieces that people have done. Coaching clinics are a big part of that. I love watching coaching clinics on YouTube. If you're an audio person, you can listen to podcasts that will help you. If you're a written word person, if you're someone who likes to read, the Chris Brown books called Smart Football I would 100% start there. In addition, Pat Kerwan does a book called Take Your Eye Off the Ball, 
which I think might be right up your alley. That's usually what I encourage people to start with when they talk about books. It's Pat Kerwan's Take Your Eye Off the Ball, and it's the Smart Football Series by Chris Brown. Those things, in addition to the things that you're either already doing, or I already suggested when it came to YouTube and visual learners, are the best way you can go about making sure that you're a little bit more informed without being all the way in. You don't need to know everything about everything to just be able to watch with an informed eye. And I think one of the main benefits to learning that stuff is it pushes you along the Dunning-Kruger line. Now, the Dunning-Kruger effect is something we've talked about on this podcast before, but we're going to go ahead and do it again. You are familiar with the phrase, they know enough to be dangerous. What that refers to is the Dunning-Kruger effect. What it means is that when you first start learning about a topic, your confidence increases way faster than your actual knowledge does. So early on, you totally feel like you've got it. I'm so great. I know everything there is to know. And then you keep learning and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know anything. They call that the valley of despair. And then when you become an expert, you say, well, I'm, I'm pretty good, but I recognize what I don't know. So it goes from, I know everything. And then you learn a little bit more and then you go, oh my gosh, I don't know anything. And then you learn a little bit more. And then you come to the conclusion where you say, I know enough to know what I don't know. That idea that there's this parabolic dip in the middle between two points where you think you know a lot, but one of them you actually do know a lot and the other one you don't, that parabolic dip right there, that's the Dunning-Kruger effect. And so what you want to try and get to is you want to try and get to a spot where you've gotten yourself past the first mountaintop, what I call the peak of Mount Stupid. You got past that first mountaintop. You know enough to know to not say something unless you're sure you know what you're talking about. The spot where you go, okay, I know enough about this one thing to say this, but I'm not just going to spout off random hot takes because I know enough to know that I can't commit to that. That's the spot where we should all be trying to get to because the fact of the matter is we're never going to get to the other end. We're never going to be all the way. I know everything about football. That doesn't exist. That's not possible. Nobody does. But you go as far as you can where you're comfortable saying, okay, you know what? I know enough to know when I can talk about something and when I can't. And I think that those methods that I outlined, those books, some coaching clinics, some of the things you're already doing can help you get there. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. We did a takes show. And I hope you found this valuable. And until next time, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumble.